Hello and you're very welcome back to Series 8 of The Public Eye, a five-part series of podcasts brought to you by Granite Exchange. I'll be your host, Sarah Travers, lovely to be with you again, and throughout this series I'll be speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how these companies have come to be, gain insight into their growth and find out how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. Today I'm joined by Sinead Welsh, who founded Informed Minds Training and Consultancy Limited. Sinead, you are very welcome to the podcast. And just before we begin, I'm going to tell people a little more about your background. So Sinead has spent most of her career as a child protection manager, case conference chairperson, court officer and professional trainer in Australia for the Department of Health and Human Services in Melbourne for 10 years. She was a dual citizen of Australia and UK and Sinead during that time gained an enhanced and expert knowledge of the abuse, crimes and risks associated with children and families. Now, the Informed Minds app is a psycho-educational early intervention phone app and it has been co-designed with students and employees over the age of 16 years old in direct response to high stress, self-harm and suicide rates locally nationally and globally. Wow, Sinead, congratulations on on building such an important, I suppose, business, first of all. Why don't we start with a little bit more about yourself, first of all? So tell us, who is Sinead Walsh before we get into the app? Thank you, Sarah. I'm really delighted to be here. So I suppose I'll start at the start, as you say. Um, I'm social work trained. I hold two degrees from the Queen's University of Belfast. And way back, it was 2007, I jetted off to the gorgeous Sydney, Australia initially. Fabulous. And whilst there, I was working with um, teenagers and young adolescents who were not able to attend school because they were at home caring for parents. Um, So their education was affected. So I started there and for six beautiful months lived in Sydney and... um, it just wasn't for us. So we drove a six-birth camper van to Melbourne and that's when it all started for us. <laughs> and what happened in Melbourne? So I walked straight into a position with the government, the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, and as you said there, I worked um, frontline. So I was working with advanced practitioners and unfortunately in the most vulnerable risk-associated sector you could be in, um, uh, abused children. Goodness me. I mean, there'd be many people listening to this couldn't even fathom um, what that must involve and and I do think it takes a certain type of person to go into something like this. You grew up in Fintana? Absolutely. In the County Derry? County, County Tyrone. Tyrone. Oh my gosh, I'll be slapped across the wrist for that one. So Fintana in County Tyrone but you know how did you how did you get interested in this line of work? It's really simple, Sarah. I always say I'm half my mum and I'm half my dad. So mum was a family support worker, but more importantly than that, when I was 13, we opened our doors and we're a foster family. So I've had seven foster brothers um, over the last 26 years. And to be honest, mum is a little earth angel. She really is. And um, I still have a foster brother. Uh, Shane is our current foster um, foster child. And he is, he's been with mum now for about six years and he's autistic. And he is incredible. Now, mum's retired, might I add, and um, widowed also. Oh, goodness so. me. So she is an earth angel, as you said. So it must have come from somewhere and we could start to have a good idea now of where it came from. Um, 
What was it like? Do you remember the first time you had a, a foster brother arrive into the house? Oh, absolutely. I was 13. We opened our doors. Niall came in and, um, oh my goodness, did we fight. Absolutely. Because <laughs> I went from being the biological young child to now being the older foster sister. But he was incredible. Absolutely brilliant. And um, a couple of years after that, actually, we thought we were getting um, what's called an emergency, emergency case. So say there was a, a critical incident and children needed somewhere safe to live. So we thought we were getting um, the, the, the four boys uh, for a weekend and two years later they were still in our care oh my <laughs> and that goodness. was a change. <laughs> so the family grew hugely. Oh yes, and blue overnight. everywhere. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, and how many were, uh, are you an only child? No, I'm, I'm the youngest out of five biological Oh my goodness, so, right, okay. <laughs> so even having the space for that in the home and, uh, you know, the competition for the bathrooms, etc., what was that like? Oh, there were bunk beds, two sets of bunk beds for the boys. Um, and I, we don't live in a big, massive mansion or anything. It was a gorgeous just bungalow house that I was I um, was born and reared in. But you can imagine mealtimes with four boys, Christmas with four boys, bath times. It, it was loud and brilliant, it really was. And they were just such lovely boys. So then, you know, getting into social work, it actually was a natural extension. What did you see in your foster siblings that made you want to help? Oh, look, I was always like, Mum, I was going to be help. I'm a change maker, very much have a very, very big heart. But I also say to everyone, I've got a strong backbone because you need to. If you're working in a space where you're working with vulnerable children, um, people committing crimes against children, um, you need to be able to be very strong. So yes, I always say I'm very gentle and very passionate, but I have a very strong backbone and that's how I get through this. So you're right, not everyone could work in the sector that I did for 15 years. Um, And what I say to my nieces and nephews in that space now is, have an exit plan. (laughs) Don't remain in it as long as I did because there is a lot of burnout. There is a lot of vicarious trauma. There's a lot of resource issues. You know, it's hard to do a fabulous job when there's a lot of restraints around there as well. So I always say, embrace it, take everything you can get from it, but have an exit plan and move on to a different sector, a different field, a different country. <laughs> Some of the and parents won't want to hear that. <laughs> and you're not failing then. You're actually, you've, you've given all you can give at that point, maybe? Absolutely. And then you take that before it becomes a burnout space or bec- before it becomes a job that you end up maybe resenting down the line. Um And I think it's important to try different teams, try different sectors. You know, social work does offer an awful lot of um, sectors and fields to enter. And I used my social work now to create a digital health solution, which I would never have believed you had you told me that when I was studying back at university. So there you go. You've become a businesswoman with a, you know, a social work background. But actually... That's a sphere that we're very much seeing more and more of, that kind of business with a purpose, that responsible innovation, using your skills and your knowledge for good. Is that important to you? That's the only reason I'm on this earth, that I have to lead like this. Yes, it's important to have my business plans and all the strategic plans and everything that I'm aiming to do, but ultimately... I need to be saving lives, I need to be interjecting, and I need to do it in a clinically governed way. And I know that early intervention has the power to save lives. That's why I jumped into this space. And in addition, I suppose to personally and professionally understanding that we have a massive concern around self-harm and stress levels here, Sarah, we had a personal incident in October 2019 where someone I love... Uh, made an attempt to end his own life at age 24 
and that was a pivotal moment. Um, I'm not going to lie, there was significant fear. We were a very close, intuitive family, we thought, but we didn't see it coming. Mm. That fear very quickly transitioned to anger, and I said, right, I'm going to bring my international experience home. I've got three young kids of my own to grow up in this country as well, and that was part of my motivation, and I said, I am going to interject in the self-harm and suicide rates. Don't know how, don't know who's going to help me, but I will find them, and I will do it, and that's, that's my motivation. So you say that sort of coincided with wanting to come home as well? Oh, it was funny. People always say, what took you back to Fintna after 10 years in Melbourne? And some, some of the listeners may be able to relate to this. So I had Erin in Melbourne. She was three and a half. I was holding my beautiful son, Regan, and um, he was four months old. And surprise, another blessing was coming. <laughs> oh, my word. Soon to be known as Shannon. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right. So that was the one way to take it back home. So that was three under the age of... Three and a half, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> Absolutely. And everyone says, what, do you not miss the sun? And I'm thinking, well, you can't take three kids under three and a half to the outdoor pool. You need one adult per child for a start. Yeah. If you go to the beach, which toddler would I save first, Sarah? <laughs> there you go. I know. And there'd be sharks and all sorts of things at those beaches as well. What did your mum think when you were coming home? Oh, my mum was absolutely elected. Now, she is just... She's such a family person and um, to know that I was bringing my three little kids home to her, um, to give her those cuddles and kisses and an opportunity to be a granny daily, not just, you know, once every couple of, of years in Melbourne. Um, she was just delighted. And that's where um, Shannon is today. You know, <laughs> and what about your other half? Was he from here or? D- right. OK. Yep. So now your husband. Yes. Yes. And uh, he was he from Fintana as well? Absolutely. OK, well, that's good, because I was going to say that would might have been a hard sell. Uh, you know, come back to beautiful County Tyrone. How could I get that wrong? Um, so any regrets there? Or do you think that was just where you you were meant to be? No regrets at all. I live my life knowing that Melbourne was a phenomenal chapter. Ten glorious years of everything Melbourne had to offer. We embraced it. But now I know what makes me happy. I've brought that back. I know I love live entertainment. I know I love sushi. I know I love good music. I know I love making my kids happy. So of a Saturday or Sunday, it's all around the kids. And I'm sure the other parents can relate to that. I'm talking Disney Plus, light the fire and some popcorn. Mm. And that's us living the dream. Absolutely. (laughs) I know. Just the simple things in life, really. And you're very grateful for those. Especially, I suppose, when you've seen what you've seen and you've experienced so much on a professional basis, but also when it comes so close to home when you think I've got to do something. So it's great to have that idea, but how do you make a business happen? Well, I ha- I started out with my idea and I thought, right, what I'd done, Sarah, was I'd conducted some in-house research. So I started to ask people of that age, sort of 16 to 24, how do you get information? If you're worried about yourself, your relationships, um, your mind, anything to do with your mental health, where where do you go? And of course, it was their phones. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be no surprise to anyone in this technological advanced generation. So I thought, right, it's going to be a phone app. So before I even looked at app companies, I have co-authored our theoretical model of change on how early intervention saves life. That's our pre-publication. So I'm a little bit of a nerd. I love the, th- I love the theory. I'm a bit of a theorist and I love to read. And coming from the statutory sector... <laughs> that's yeah. what my that's what my intervention's based on. It's based on evidence. So we've co-authored that. So that was the initial starter point. So we could understand from a theory 
of early intervention, how we could pull this off. So that's where we started. Then we interviewed a, f- a few app companies and we went with the third one who's seen our global vision. Um, we had um, an opportunity to own the intellectual property and all the legalities around that. So it was the best fit for us. Mm-hmm. And that's Dynamite Digital. And where are they based? So Paddy, is well, he's based in Donegal, but the actual head office is in Belfast. So he, you were bought into the to the same values, I suppose, and the same journey and, and the global vision, as you said. So at that stage, you know, you've done the research and it sounds like you've done an awful lot of research, but you've still got to sell this. How do you make money out of this? Absolutely. So we launched, now, I suppose... The important aspect here is the networking as well. So when I got back and had the, the third child, I started to position myself um, on, what would you say, uh, committees and places where I knew that, number one, I either had a passion or, number two, I had um, expertise from an international child protection point of view. So I'll talk about those a little later. Um, but I think then what I went on to do was I started to look at the Apple and Google Play requirements, the standards, and you need to start there. Right. Because Apple is, if anyone's worked with Apple, they have a lot more hoops that you must jump through. Mm, I think <laughs> people are sort of realising that, yeah. Yes. So it's you not just the chargers and the... <laughs> no. Yeah. So you need to go through um, all of the, that high quality standard to get through, even to get onto the Apple and Google Play store. So we've done that. Then we were able in... September 2021, we were finalists in the Catalyst competition. So that's the Invent 21. That opened up some great markets for us as well because I was able to showcase the app live in a room, dressed in a fabulous dress in front of incredible business people. So as a result, we got one-to-one meetings after that. So October, it was, Sarah, we launched in the Apple and Google Play stores officially. And it was November, we had our first corporate client, Connected Health, with 1,000 of their employees. Now, Connected Health understood they had their own e-learning platform. They had their own employee assist program. And we were able to show them the benefit of the app as a complementary attachment, not to replace, not to take over. Um, And that's what we've done. So that was our first corporate Gosh. And I laugh, we'd been working with universities now for what feels like about two years and the corporate business was in with it in about a month. Right. Okay. So very, very hard, I suppose, when you've got that sort of core funding and what, what yes, and schools and universities harder to get in there. Um, what difference did it make then to you uh, going into that corporate space? fear because another thing is it's about squaring it all away I want to do good I want to help people in universities I want to help the kids in the schools but I can't afford to do it without the corporates absolutely look we have been building now um our I suppose we've been building our portfolio so the corporate sector now we use the testimonials and the case study of our initial customer of course um we've then ended up attracting um health and social care sectors as well, so GP federations. We've also attracted universities north and south of Ireland, so we have a paid pilot running in the Republic, and we're about to launch a press release, coming soon, I can't say who, of a university in Northern Ireland, and we're working with England, Scotland and Wales national health sector as well in different Gosh. projects. So Fabulous. It's, it's turning out to be a wonderful opportunity, but for me this year, my word is focus. I want to get focused on the customers that we have. I suppose support them through that, assure 
um, quality assurance and that's gathering our feedback and testimonials and our surveying and our analytics. Um, so for us, that's our target this year to duplicate the sales that we've already done and um, move into national markets. And the reason I'm able to do that, Sarah, is one of the places I position myself is um, as a clinical entrepreneur. So I have recently been appointed by Professor Tony Young, the clinical lead of the NHS England, and that is our initial uh, conversations into the national markets. That is fantastic. Congratulations. And a clinical entrepreneur. I don't think I've heard that before, but... As I said before, that's definitely a world that we need to be in and and using your innovation and your expertise for good. Um, Gosh, when you talk about early intervention, if I could just take it back a bit. So tell me, how does the app work? If somebody's feeling vulnerable, if they feel they need something, how will this app actually help them? How does it intervene? So Sarah, you could be experiencing stress. And can I tell you, 85% of UK residents experience stress every day. It's a normal part of life, okay? We're not here to try to prevent stress. We want to be able to cope with it. And this sounds like um, the words resilience and coping mechanisms are out there. But if we can identify stressors much earlier on, that's how we can stop it becoming your darkest day, spiraling out of control. So if you're experiencing stress, the idea is you jump into our app, safely 24 7 and what you're going to get in there is over 400 vlogs videos that are only three to five minutes short because we know our concentration span is low so there's no death by powerpoint in our app and you're going to get real local people just telling you a bit about some of their life stressors in three to five minute videos they're at home it's authentic there's no um there's no script they just tell you a bit about their stressor but they don't stay there they move on to how they recognised it, who they spoke to, and what they do now to maintain good mental health. So you can take what you need from someone who's been there. And we cover our A to Z of figuring it out section is a library of A to Z of life, relationship and mental health issues. So you could go through A, could be alcohol, anger, um, anxiety, could be bullying, believing in yourself, it could be confidence, it could be cocaine, it could be depression, it could be disability, it could be emotions, it could be exams, it could be friendships, it could be fear, it could be farmers, Gosh. could be grief, giving back, and so much more. When um, Queen's Dr. Paul Best, who specialises in digital mental health, and Dr. Colin Walsh, who specialises in masculinity, violence and trauma, when they conducted their independent evaluation service report of the app in November 2020, we only had 20 vlogs at that point. So 10 lived and learned and 10 multidisciplinary professional. And we were celebrating. Now we have over 400. And that's people... And how does that... uh, People just add to them? Yes, people have aligned and they are attracted to me. They have came and asked me. And it's all from social good. They have came and said, I want to roll up my sleeves and tell my story. Oh, I want to help. That's how it started. I was uh, my next question was, and how did you record all of these people, and how did you collate all of these? So it's a community, yes, and a network. Talk to me about testimonials. Yes. Tell me about the the first customer. What did they say back? What Absolutely. did their employees say back? Well, it's exactly the same feedback from the Queen's report. Yes. It's an attractive interface, it's super slick, it's super cool, it's super fast, we all know that. It's easy to navigate, we all know that, but more importantly to me, and more importantly to our users and our customers is the peer-to-peer videos. Let them know 
that what they were feeling was okay. The professional videos let them understand that their thoughts and feelings and actions are they're, they're normal, they're justified, but more importantly now they know where to get support and help in the app. So it's not all just crisis point. We look at, you might be having a good day and celebrating you know, things that are going well. And there's tips, tools, techniques in there that help you maintain good well-being. And of course, if you're at your darkest day, there's obviously signposting and links to supports in there as well. So it's your one-stop solution. When things are going good, you use InformMinds app. When you're at crisis point or you're worried about someone else, come in and hear from other people who've been through it and take what you need in the InformMinds app. That's the idea. There's so there's so much pressure out there. You've talked about that already. You've said 85% of UK residents experience stress. But if we think about children and young people, um, it's not an easy world to navigate. I wouldn't like to be starting over again. And yes, your wonderful app is a brilliant addition to their phone, but all of the phones and the screens and the pressure and the bullying and the trolling that happens, um, what advice do you give children and young people to safeguard their mental health, look after themselves. Absolutely. Well, in one of the sections in, in the app, it's called Serious Situations, and that's where we delve there. We go into, you know, Andrew talks about being a male victim of domestic violence in his own marriage. Chantelle was a victim of sexual assault. Now, all of the vlogs are clinically governed. So they come through me and they come through my expert panel of advisors who are all qualified in their specialist fields. Um, our experts are specialists in stress and anxiety, mental health, addictions, crime, suicide, suicide in rural areas, um, LGBTQ+, and equality, diversity and inclusion. So all of the vlogs have come through um, me initially or my expert panel of advisors who are specialists in the area. So the serious situations is where you're going to find a bit more, what would you say, dangerous topics. Like I talk about course of control, gaslighting, emotional abuse, because when I was talking to some of the younger adults in my world, they didn't understand that, you know, say the girlfriend going in and logging in under their name and replying to ex-partners, warning them off, etc., was a form of red flag course of control. And I was able to sort of just talk as if I'm sitting on a sofa, having a chat to one of my own nieces or nephews, but I'm actually giving that to the world. So it's some safe information, non-judgmentally, um, but just maybe things you haven't thought about that maybe would make you think, do you know what, I, I might not be safe in this relationship or this is maybe not the type of relationship I'd like to enter into something long-term and serious around. So we do cover lots of different topics and that's where the one-stop shop comes in. Now you talked at the, at the beginning about having the exit strategy when you were working in social work, but you know, you're still, there's still a weight of responsibility on your shoulders when you're putting yourself out there that this is a one-stop shop to help with all sorts of very dark things and some more easier to solve than others. How does this affect you emotionally? Look, working in child protection, I have the resilience built up. You know, I have worked with paedophiles. I have been on ministerials with child death inquiries. And that's probably on an everyday daily basis. So for me, not everyone would be able to show up and get your shoulders back. However, I also work on my mindset each and every day. So I practice what I preach as best as I can. So I do my meditations, I do my, gratitu my gratitude, I read good books, I love to learn. So for me, yes, I have, um, I suppose I've got a professional capacity to deal with this. And that's came through experience and expertise over the years, because I've been in such a significantly high demand um, 
statutory sector, really. So is this slightly easier, slightly less pressure? Yes, yes. We, it is. It is because I suppose I can understand the life challenges. For me, it's the business roller coaster, the, the entrepreneurial roller coaster, being a mommy mm. of three that I'm yeah. probably you know, and you're trying not to having to take with. that per, you know personal responsibility home, wondering about that child or did anything happen? Did, did something get resolved? So uh, yeah, I can imagine how that's a bit easier. How do you juggle motherhood and, and running a business then? I am very blessed to have my mum and my mother-in-law support me. So like today, my mum will do the nursery run and take Shannon back and then she'll drop her into Tish. So I am totally blessed in that way. You have to be super organised. So if it's in my diary, it's happening. And if it's not, it's not. I get you. I hear you. I'm exactly the same. Just in one ear and out the other. Otherwise, it has to go in there. What do you like to do outside of work? Is there any time at all? Well, a couple of things. I do my social netball every Wednesday, and that's us girls at the Ecclesville Centre. We don't even keep score, Sarah, but we love it. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> and is that, how did that happen? When did this start? So my friend Joe organised it. Um, well, we had to wait to after COVID, of course, to get back. But literally, we all go in seven o'clock on a Wednesday night and um, just play netball and the crack be great and you get a bit of exercise and it gets me out of the house as well and uh, I love it you and know the fact that you've gone back to Fintana did you used to play netball there years ago I would have played is netball this an old school yeah. yeah and is this the old team getting back together or anything no 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 not, no we wouldn't have played competitively or anything um but it's just the, an opportunity for us girls to get together have a bit of a giggle and uh, do some netball and then I have my other passion that you might have seen on St Patrick's Day is yes. um so remember I said earlier I'm half dad and half mum. Uh-huh. So mum's the whole social work end and the and that and dad would have played um, Irish music. So he would have played the banjo, guitar and was a great singer. So yes, have a look if, if you can at Sinead's Instagram or social media because her St. Patrick's Day post was fabulous. You're a brilliant musician, obviously. You're there. I don't get a chance to play as much, Sarah, but that that whistle that I'm playing is actually a wooden whistle made in the Blue Mountains of Sydney. So it's my pride and joy. It's my only prized possession. (laughs) And when you were over in Sydney, were you always asked to do a wee turn? Always. All handbags had to be said big, and I'm now pointing the sides bigger than a tin whistle, because I was the agent that would have played at Melbourne Cup. I would have been playing on the trains. I would have been in the Irish bar saying to the band, could I play a tune? This is after maybe a wee gin. And um, and they'd let me up and I would bath around a few tunes and it was it was great. So all of my Melbourne friends and memories um, get triggered when I play. <laughs> but isn't that a wonderful thing to be able to do? And I suppose um, a lovely counterbalance to your very stressful, difficult uh, career. The music and for your own mental health must be must be wonderful to be able to play like that. Absolutely. And do you remember I said I joined one of the um, committees? Well, Coltus was one. Ah. So I joined the Coltus's your um, Irish music, song, uh, culture and dance and language. And I joined that, joined that as their child protection officer. So I was getting my music. I was making ham sandwiches for the sessions. <laughs> and I was, I was um, the child protection officer too. Wow. And you've done an awful lot of world in chi- uh, work in child protection, even involving the church too. That's correct. Is it still something that you're passionate about? Yes. Look, I um, sit 
I'm the safeguarding lead rep in the parish, but also the diocese. So I would have went to meetings in Enniskillen and Monaghan with the committee. And um, it's really important that people understand um, the abuse categories and how we can prevent this as a community without terrifying everyone, of course. It's delivered in a really um, planned manner. So yes, I do I do that as well. But you also <laughs> understand the extent of the issue, which an awful lot of us tend to bury our head in the sand over or, or can't even, as I said at the start, fathom that it's going on, but it is. Oh yes, yes. If you think that Northern Ireland doesn't have, you know, the abuse categories, um, you're incorrect. Well, we've seen with the news and, you know, an awful lot of cases from many years ago and people are finally finally getting to, 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 to get to deal with it, whether anything happens as a result, at least finally we're accepting, maybe apologies have come. Um, is faith important to you and how difficult would that have been, you know, whenever you're hearing all of these cases that, you know, we've all sort of seen in the news and been horrified about? Absolutely. I do have a great faith. Um, I do. However, I suppose one of the things I teach, I deliver the safeguarding children and young people mandatory Northern Ireland training. Um, that's part of what my company does as well and the designated liaison officer training. Um, so as part of that, one of the questions is, who abuses and there's a list there because we don't know you know there's no one particular type of person it could be anybody and that's what you learn so it it doesn't have to be you know a certain type of person it could be anybody who has a particular a particular interest in children um in that way in that criminal way so i suppose for me I don't, I don't get shocked at things very easily, Sarah. I probably could write a book from what I've seen and heard in Melbourne and all of the, the gang-related um, cases there, the restricted cases, the high-profile cases, the very rich um, people have been abusers and then you've got other different styles and categories as well. So for me, I, I don't get shocked very easily when it comes to that, unfortunately, because I've seen it and heard it before. It's about now preventing it happening, happening again. What happens to you, though, when you become a mum? Everything changes. I'm sure your whole view of this changes when you think, I need to protect these three little people. Absolutely. And this is what I'm creating now, so that in five, ten years' time, we will have interjected the self-harm and suicide rates. That's the point of the app. The idea is, when we start today, we can chip away at it, and eventually we will have a legacy of a shift in mindset a bit more resilience built up and um, a tool that's going to grow and expand every month as it already does. Um, and you've also talked passionately about the social good and the networking and the community that grows when you have that purpose and that purpose is social good. Um, how many people do you have working for you now and how do you grow your business from here? Yes, so we've a big core team of two, me and my sister. <laughs> uh, so Paula has a master's in special educational needs and has worked in Northern Ireland, Leeds and Melbourne as well. So she followed me out actually. So we also have, we started off with one student ambassador. Now we have 77 professional and student ambassadors dotted all around. Brilliant. Which is incredible. We have our eight expert panel of advisors that I mentioned earlier. And then we have our tech team and we have our data protection specialist officer. We have our finance team and our legal team, of course. So it's it's just going brilliantly for you. I'm absolutely delighted that something that obviously was so badly needed that you invested your time and your energy into this. Um, there was nothing to lose here with trying this. There was only only positives out of this. 
Absolutely. The risk I took, I personally invested my savings from Australia. I decided, and it was a good decision for me not to go back frontline in social services and to invest my international expertise into something that I can create and mould it whatever way our community and our people need. And that's what I like. You know, I always say, Sarah, any societal taboo topic is welcome and we will address it gently but we won't hide away because it's that stigma that leads to the darkest days, really. You obviously are the perfect person to front the business as well. And so much of what you do has been about getting out there, telling the stories, pitching, wearing the fabulous frock or whatever it is. Um, public speaking, how nerve wracking is that for you when you're having to pitch to investors or to just people to say, give us a go, give me a chance here? Absolutely. I love our, our live app demos because I usually have about an hour, right? And it's lovely. I can get most things in and I, I get a chance to ask lots and lots of questions. And then that helps me understand what my customers need. And that's brilliant. See these 60 second pitches and the three minute pitches? They are stressful. They are stressful, aren't they? Because <laughs> I think once you know you're on that clock, that's when the hyperventilating starts, doesn't it? Uh, that clock taken away yes. brings a different type of stress that that I'm not um, comfortable with. No. <laughs> I hear you on that one. But as a business owner, I know it's early days, really. But what's been the biggest challenge you've had to overcome? Uh, probably the finances. It's like every probably female founder, every founder at the start, it's, you know, you're taking a, a, a chance. And we built the app stage by stage. So we started out with the data analytics so that I could make sure I could measure um, anonymous information from the start. So each build cost a couple of thousand every time. So for us, you know, it could have been done quicker had I been a millionaire, but we just went slow and steady. And that's the journey that we were on. And it actually led to the fantastic product that we have now because we've done it right. And in between all of the builds, I was networking and asking my customers um, and the young people, what do you want? What are you interested in? What do you need? What digital health solution could I potentially bring to you to enhance what you've already got? And that's how we've moulded and created what we've got now. And in terms of sort of pitching and getting that investment, you did touch on there, you talked about how difficult it is for all um, entrepreneurs, but particularly for females, they're less likely to get that investment at the start. Yeah, that's true. Look, what advice would you give? There's a lot of research out there and all I can say is don't give up on yourself. I've had many a door slammed in my face and there'll be many more coming. Um, but I just put the shoulders back and say, all right, great, next. I love that. Now, the purpose, uh, Sinead, of this podcast is to inspire existing business owners and ambitious entrepreneurs to grow their business by offering insight into the success of businesses such as Informed Minds Training and Consultancy. But what advice would you give to people who have a business idea but have no idea where to begin or are unsure as to whether the risk is worth taking? Very simple. I started with the local councils. So I joined um, our Yes You Can program. It was actually through Women in Business and that's where my network started. I was surrounded by all sorts of women with fantastic experience, incredible ideas and we all got a chance to sit down and I think it was a nine, nine um, module program and we went through that together and we're still friends. We still have a WhatsApp group. Now some of them might have been converting horse carts into coffee trucks. Some of them were... Um, more aligned with what I was doing and one of my friends is now taking one of her products into the courts by means of parental alienation um, and then others were doing other bits and pieces as, as well so find people who are trying to do 
not what you're doing, but trying to start a business and then they'll become your friends and you'll learn together because there's going to be a lot of turns and curves in the road. But I have never been happier, Sarah. You know, so you love running your own business. Come here. I always say the reason I wanted to do this as well was I'm the type of mommy that wants to go to the Christmas concert. If my child's a donkey or a star or baby Jesus or whatever is happening, I want to be able to go there and this is the way I'm able to do it. Um, And that's as... That's as long and short as I can put it, really. So I control my own diary, basically. Absolutely. And the power then of, of having that network of other women, as you say, on the same journey. You can support each other along the way. You can cheer each other on and you can have a shoulder to cry on or just a, a good old runt whenever you need that as well. It has been a joy having you in the Public Eye podcast studio. I'm sure everybody has been really impressed by everything that you're doing with Informed Minds. And, um, you know, good luck with it. Keep keep helping keep going out there and and hopefully that early intervention will save lives thank you so much uh, Sinead for for joining us today um and yeah I hope you've enjoyed it everyone join me again very soon for another fantastic episode of the public eye podcast and we do have some health help advice if you've been affected by anything that you've heard about today in Northern Ireland almost one in five people report living with a mental illness We have a number of uh, recommendations here for you if you need support, want to talk. West Wellbeing provides a care service for people who are experiencing mental health difficulties. Call them on 028 9092 That's Want to Talk West Wellbeing on 028 9092 or Lifeline 0808 8088 8088000 and the Samaritans on 116123. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.